Well, these next few weeks are going to be great at church, and I wanted to start with a scripture about men and women, as that's what we're going to be focusing on. God's plan for men and women is so important, is so essential, that it's on the first page of the Bible. We see it in Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them, and God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this conversation about men and women and their design by God, their, their blessing from God, how God has uniquely made them in the image of him, of God, how God has given them a job to do, to rule and reign is so important to our faith. So this week, I'm Kendall, one of the pastors and leaders here at All People's Church, and I'm going to be speaking on the soul of a man. You saw Neely in the announcement. She'll be speaking next week on the soul of a woman, because if you've lived on this earth any period of time, you've probably noticed this simple truth. Men and women are a little different. <laughs> Somebody turn to their neighbor and say, he's, he's preaching the truth right there. Men and women are a little different. That's right. Well, I want to start today by honing in on a, a figure that I looked up to as a young boy as maybe an example of manhood, maybe as, as someone that I thought, yeah, that's a man, that's what it means to be masculine, that's a hero, that's who that is, and it's none other than Indiana Jones. All right, this service likes Indiana Jones, I like that. Indiana Jones, probably my favorite fi character in film and fantasy growing up, and Indiana seemed to have it all. He was a brilliant college professor. He must have been tenured because he could take off in the summers to fight the Nazis, right? Um, you know, he spoke, oh, didn't speak, but he understood hieroglyphics and Latin and all these languages. And, you know, he's a swashbuckler, right? You know, fighting bad guys. He only seemed to kill somebody really when they needed to be killed. You know what I mean? He was kind of low-key on the violence. Um, he kind of honored God, discovered the Ark of the Covenant, right? And, you know, hid it in a warehouse somewhere. Um, all, all of these different things about Indiana Jones, his, his drawings and just the these mystical journeys he would go on. We're just fascinated fascinating to me as a young boy. They were so fascinating, actually. I remember being on a family vacation in Santa Fe, and they have a little market there in downtown, and I got a hold of an Indiana Jones hat and bullwhip and brought them back to my urban backyard in Dallas, Texas, and I was Indiana Jones. I mean, I had the bullwhip. I had the little stripes to prove it from the backlash as I was learning how to use the thing. I had my little secret book of drawings and hieroglyphics, and I was going to discover mysteries. I was going to go on a great adventure. I was going to get the girl. I was going to be Indiana Jones. Well, a classic Indiana Jones movie is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and it's, it's just perfectly manly. We have Indiana Jones as Harrison Ford. His father is Sean Connery. I mean, James Bond. And here they are. They're on the search for the Holy Grail, the fountain of youth, the thing that's going to supply them with eternal life. And the, the movie's so amazing because, yes, there, there's fighting. There's on this journey. And I probably saw it a little too young, but that's okay because it's going to be a great analogy for this morning. And Throughout the film, this, this, this kind of channel of, of meaning emerges in the story. You see, we think that Indiana's out there fighting the Nazis, but actually he's fighting something deeper. He's fighting his own demons. There's this tension that emerges between the father and the son. 
And what begins as this quest for eternal life and for, you know, youth perpetually and this amazing artifact of the Holy Grail really becomes a quest to heal Indiana's broken masculinity. Yes, I'm going very deep into the psychology of Indiana Jones. And, and you see it in the relationship between the father and the son. It's actually Steven Spielberg hired a ghostwriter to write all the dialogue between uh, Sean Connery and Harrison Ford because he, he felt it was so important. So he hired this very well-known playwright that has all these honorary doctorates from Yale and Cambridge and Oxford and all these awards because he wanted it to have depth and substance to it. And there really is something there in the tension between these two characters and in the story of trying to find acceptance and identity as a man. And the, the movie kind of peaks in this ancient cave and if you've seen it, you know, there's this awesome knight who's been guarding the Holy Grail for generations. And, you know, they get the Grail. And, of course, the, the Grail has some magical power, so it's not allowed to leave the cave. And the cave is going to be destroyed if they take the cave out of the Grail. And in the middle of them trying to decide, okay, are we going to take this Grail? Are we going to take, you know, the fountain of youth? Are we going to take this power with us out of the cave, or are we going to make it and survive out of the cave? There's this moment where Indiana has to make a choice. In the story, Indiana represents us as men. We're, we, we have a choice to make. Are we going to reach back into the past, into boyhood, to look for our meaning, to look for maybe what feels good, or what looks good, or what's shiny or interesting in a moment? Or are we going to reach up into the arms of our Heavenly Father and step into our true identity as men of God? And of course, we're going to watch the clip right now. So let's, let's check it out. Junior, give me your other hand. I can't hold on. I can get it. I can almost reach it, Dad. Indiana. Indiana. so inspired. As men, God has, had, God has us on a journey, a journey of leaving something. I love how he can just almost reach the fountain of youth and a journey of stepping into something, of stepping into our true identity as sons of God. All creation, the Bible says, is groaning out for the sons of God to be revealed. And our culture is crying out for the sons of God to be revealed today. You know, we live in a time that is very confused on, okay, what is a man? What is a woman? And there's a lot of pain in our society about this. So I did a sensible thing. I just Googled how to be a man. And I saw some really interesting advice on Google. Never go on a date Dutch treat. It's actually pretty good advice. Carry a handkerchief. I should carry a handkerchief. 
remember names, work out every day, make eye contact, all interesting thoughts. My personal favorite was the command to have good underwear. Apparently, that's what it means to be a man. Uh, men should protect, provide, procreate, you know, all, all interesting thoughts. But if you look at masculinity this way, it, it's not entirely helpful because it's all about something that men do rather than something that they are. And this message is about the soul of a man. There's something about the image of God in us and men, something that God has imprinted upon us that if we don't step out and walk in, the world doesn't get something it needs. And we see that in our world today. Our world is in this crisis of masculinity, really a crisis of fatherlessness. You know, more, more children are raised without their fathers than ever before. Uh, less men are at work. Less men are getting an education. Less men are leading in society. And we've preached at that several Father's Days in a row. You can go back and listen to a lot of those messages about the father's role in society. That's very important for us. But today's message is going to take a little deeper because we're not going to look at just what a man is doing or how a man is supposed to lead, but how, who a man is, how a man is, and how God shapes a man. Are you ready? Great. The soul of a man. Today, I want to speak to you from the subject, the soul of a man. A man is defined much more than about what he does. A man is defined by who God says he is. That is what defines a man. And as men, we've bought this lie outright. You know, we've looked at maybe certain behaviors and thought, maybe that, that'll make me a man. Or we've looked at role models like Indiana Jones. It's not entirely helpful, right? Is that what a man is? Someone that can swing over a canyon with a bullwhip? I mean, how many of us are really going to have to do that in the course of our life? I remember meeting Mickey Mantle. Uh, Mickey Mantle is one of the greatest athletes, baseball players of all time. And uh, he actually had a, a real problem with alcoholism. He became a Christian later in life, but uh, he, he signed a book. I was at a book signing. But... At the end of his life, he gave a press conference, one of his last press conferences. Do you know what he said to the young boys that looked up to him? Don't be like me. We, we live in this culture that, I mean, who is a man? What is a man? Who, how do we look? Who do we look to? How are we to be defined as men? It, it's a real problem. It's a real area of pain. But men, there's something I want to speak to you about today. And I want you to know, here's my first point. The soul of a man matters. Your soul deeply matters to God. God cares about your heart and your soul. When we look at a man and we say, oh, this is what a man does, yes, there are different things a man of God should do. A man of God should pray. A man of God should serve. A man of God should lead. There, there's different behaviors, different attributes that, of course, that, that should be present in the man of God's life. But there's something deeper. There should be a work in that man of God's soul that can only come through his father God. The soul of a man matters. Have you ever considered just maybe one of the most basic passages of the Bible, Psalm 23? Favorite passage for many people. Most people know it. Psalm 23, verse 1, speaks about this idea of the soul. And it goes into verse 4. I'm just going to read the first few verses here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Say he restores my soul. He restores my soul. The soul of a man matters. The soul of a woman matters too. But today I want to speak about how God shapes, develops, and speaks into the soul of a man. David wrote this. He was a shepherd. And I like the idea of the Lord being our shepherd. I like the idea that a shepherd wrote this psalm. Because when I think of a shepherd, I don't think of someone that's very in tune with their emotions. Right? A shepherd is a tough job. 
it's a thankless job. It's a dirty job. It's a dangerous job. I mean, you're part babysitter looking after these sheep, right? You're part dog whisperer, you know, having to deal with all these animals. You're part bear grills, you know, surviving in the wild. I mean, you know, it's also probably really boring most days. You're just looking at sheep all day and doing the same thing day after day, looking over sheep. Not a very emotionally healthy job in society. Typically, the job of a shepherd. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We don't have a lot of shepherds in our society today, but we did have a great movie called City Slickers about a rancher who looked like this. Yes, Curly, there he is. Now, obviously, Father God doesn't look like this, but this is what a shepherd, what a rancher, just a bristly guy, you know what I mean, a tough guy. And in the midst of all this, there's this amazing revelation that David brings, King David brings, that God is our shepherd. And he starts talking about the shepherd. He, he, he leads me, he makes me lie down. And then all of a sudden, in verse 4, he breaks the metaphor. He breaks the fourth wall. It says, he restores my soul. There's something about God being the shepherd of our souls. A man's soul matters to God. David was able to say this because he knew God, and God had restored his soul. And so he was able to speak restoration and life into the souls of other people. Men, you serve a God that cares deeply about your soul, that cares deeply about your heart. And men oftentimes aren't that good at this, right? We think we need to man up, right? And so what we do is we ignore the basic needs of the human soul. We avoid authenticity. We avoid vulnerability. We have this myth of the self-reliant man in our culture, right? So we, we avoid community, right? And then a lot of men avoid rest, the other day, you know, I was so tweaked out on a day off. I think I pulled every minute weed possible in my driveway. I was, I was, something was in me, in my soul, avoiding rest. You know what I mean? Like we do that as men. And th- there's just this thing in our soul that doesn't want to be cared for because we don't know who to trust. But if we're able to meet God in his place of kindness as our heavenly father, as our good shepherd, God is able to restore our souls. And this is why this matters. This is why the soul of a man matters, because a man that is shepherded and restored by God is able to shepherd and restore others. And that's what our world needs today. Amen? God is our shepherd, and a man's soul matters to God. If you've never heard just the basic good news of the Bible, your soul matters to God so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to the earth to fulfill thousands of prophecies, to live a sinless life, and die on a cross as a sacrifice for you so your relationship with God could be restored. Your soul matters to God, and our soul matters to God so much that he doesn't just save us. It's not a transactional thing. We live in this journey of God restoring our souls. Love that phrase, restore my soul. Makes me want to go, ah, right? God restores our souls. God is leading men on a journey of shaping their souls. Virgil led Dante through hell. Rafiki led Simba to be a man, right? David had to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Gandalf led some hobbits through Mordor. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
And God is leading us on a journey, a journey that will bring transformation in our lives as men and in our souls to make us into the men that this world so desperately needs. We have this saying in our culture, boys will be boys. Anyone ever heard that? Right. And to some extent, it's true. I mean, little boys, they, I mean, they wrestle, they tumble, they need to go outside sometimes and just get all their energy out, right? But here's the problem with that phrase. We've started to use that phrase, boys will be boys, to excuse men from being men, right? The problem in our culture today isn't masculinity. It's that there's a lack of uninitiated and restored men. So let's look for a moment at how God restores the soul of a man and shapes the soul of a man over time by giving him a journey to go through. You know, the Apostle John was aware of this. He spoke about the different levels of maturity that were present in men in the church. This is what he said. 1 John chapter 2, I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. There's these stages of maturity, children, young men, fathers that God is bringing us through as men. So I want to look at some of these stages now together. I want to look at how God shapes the soul of a man. You know, there's some sermons that we share at this church, and really what we're hoping for at the end is a powerful moment of God breaking through into someone's life, kind of an encounter with God. This is a different kind of message. This is a template I want to give you for your life. It's more of a roadmap, really. So you can say, okay, what is God doing with my life now, and how do I build a deeper relationship with him over time? Um, At the end of our last service, there was an 83-year-old man that was in the service. And as we talked through these stages, how God develops a man, he came up to me after the service and said, you know what's amazing? I can see the faithfulness of God in each stage that you mentioned in my life. Isn't that awesome? That's the kind of life we want to live as men. I want to look at now how God shapes the soul of a man. He shapes the soul of a man by taking him through a journey. Last summer, I had some time off from ministry and really just went deep into prayer and meditation and reflection on my life and what God has done. And I came across this book, uh, The Way of the Wild Heart by John Eldridge, great book. Uh, And what it does is it talks through a man's journey, the stages of a man. There's all kinds of amazing truths and scriptures in here. And as I prayed about what to share today, you know what's interesting? This is what God spoke to me. He said, read Psalm 23. And you know what my thought was? Preacher vulnerability moment. Psalm 23, really, God? Could I share something new, please? But these stages of a man's journey are all here in Psalm 23, and I think God wants to make it simple for us today so we can know what he's doing in our lives. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Here's the first stage in a man's life, the stage of the beloved son. This is how we know that we are loved by God. God leads us. I shall not want. I'm provided for. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I'm protected. He leads me beside still waters. He cares for me. He restores my soul. This is where a man's journey begins, understanding that he is the beloved son. He is the top button. This is the top button, right? knowing that we're loved by God. Now, I'm not cool enough to ever button my top button. Maybe one day, maybe after I live in California for 15 years, I'll be cool enough. I've only been here 11 years. But this is the top button. This is the gold standard. This is the entire foundation of a man's Christian walk, knowing that he is God's beloved son, because it answers this primal question in the heart of every man. Am I loved for what I do or because of what God says I am? Right? That's a question you never get out of in life. It's a treadmill unless God steps into your story and answers it. 
Now, for most of us, this, this journey of being the beloved son, God intended this question and this foundation to be laid between years zero and 12. This is what God is doing in the stage of boyhood in a man's life. But as I go through these stages, what you're going to see is different stages that you're like, wow, I, I really ha- carry this truth in my heart. Maybe it was from God. Maybe it was from my father. Maybe it was from a father figure. This is something that really resonates with me. You're going to see other stages that you're like, ooh, man, I, God needs to do some work there. And Here's the good news for you. What God is primarily up to, our li- up to in our lives as men is reinitiating us into masculinity so we can be fathers too. So God can step into any part of your story and bring the truth that's needed to move your, you forward. But let's look at this stage of the beloved son. Even Jesus had to go through this stage. What happened with Jesus, right? Before his baptism, before he'd done anything great, Matthew chapter three, he's baptized and God was so intent of him knowing that he was God's beloved son, that he said it from heaven. This is my beloved son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. With him, I am well pleased. Speaking belovedness, speaking identity, speaking acceptance into his heart. This is what God wants to do for us at the beginning of our journey as men. I can remember my own story um, going on a road trip with my dad from Arkansas to Texas. Now, uh, I grew up in the South, and in the South, we have these things called tornadoes. And so, if you haven't seen one, Google it. So anyway, tornadoes. So tornadoes are these big storms. And I, I, I remember driving in the car, looking out in a field near our car, and a tornado was in the field, like right above the field, hadn't touched ground yet, just hovering above the car. And my dad just being like, yeah, there's a tornado over there. We're safe. Don't worry. We're going to continue to drive. Now, that's probably not how my dad was feeling inside, right? Any fathers know what I'm talking about. Um, However, that moment where he spoke that put incredible peace and confidence in my heart. I felt safe. That's how God wants us to feel as beloved sons in the storms of life. I remember um, later in, in my youth, 17 or 18, on a family road trip, driving in a snowstorm, and I remember thinking back to that story of driving through the tornado right? And there was just a confidence that God, a, a security that God put in my heart in that moment through my father. And it may come from your father. It may come from the father figure, or it could come through God himself. But that is something that God wants us to do. He wants us to know we are his beloved sons. Amen. Am I loved because of who I am or because of what I do? That is an essential question. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his main namesake. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. You know, these paths of righteousness that a shepherd would go, these paths that you would take your sheep on if you were a shepherd would be very important. Some paths, they would have food and water. Some paths would have bandits. Some paths would be safe. Some paths would be a path of blessing. And for a shepherd to be comfortable in these paths, he would have to be comfortable in the wild. This is the stage of adventure. All of us men, who are grown, remember this transition where life kind of stopped being about, you know, the home and, you know, just whatever your daily world is. And it started being about like, I can do more push-ups than you. I can run faster than you. I can catch a bigger wave than you. Who can spit the biggest off this thing? Who can, you know, all the random stuff that young men do in that season of adolescence. There is something of God in it because God is building in men a desire uh, for adventure. And there's a question that men are trying to answer in this season. Do I have what it takes? Am I strong enough? And God 
speaks into that part of our story, and his desire is to bring incredible confidence. I remember at 14 years old, I studied abroad. It was part of an exchange program in Germany, and I lived with this family in Western Germany, and we lived kind of near this sauerkraut field. We were absolutely unsupervised. It was, you know, <laughs> it was like the early 90s, late 80s, okay? So, you know, different, different time, but there we were, and uh, I, I remember hunting wild boar in a field or, you know, I don't even know what we were doing, climbing through trees in cemeteries. Why were we in the cemetery? I have no idea. So, you know, just doing random stuff and exploring. And there was just that golden season of boyhood, right? Everyone can think of their golden season, right? Maybe it was a place down the street that you hung out. Maybe you dug a hole to China. Anybody ever done that, right? Um, that's a few of us, yeah. But maybe it was surfing, you know, how, whatever you grew up doing. There's this season in a man's life where God wants to build confidence. This is a season the enemy often tries to steal in a man's story. Sometimes it's through brokenness in the family home, other times through abuse. There could be other things that come up. And because the enemy's goal is to steal a man's confidence so he never becomes the leader he's called to be. Of course, I have good news for you. God can redeem that. Jesus went through this as well, you know, after his baptism. I love the message version of the Bible, Luke chapter 4. It says, the Spirit led him into the wild. Into the wild. What a great phrase. Okay. So, the season of adventure. Here's the next stage in a man's life. Two stages, actually. The stage of war and the stage of the heart. The stage of war and the stage of the heart. As God builds confidence in the young man, growing an adventure, his desire is to awaken his heart and to enlist him in his war. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This brings up two stages in the life of a man. First of all, war. Okay, so the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. So the presence of evil is introduced. This is very important for you to know. God makes men by giving them a battle to fight. God makes men by giving them a battle to fight. Men, don't begrudge your battles. Oftentimes, it can be a test that God is using because he desires to promote you. Think of David and Goliath, right? There's just battles that we go through in life. I'm not saying God caused them, but there are things that God allows in our story because he has equipped us to overcome and wants us to know how good he is and how strong we can be in his strength. Amen? So we have this stage of war. You know, you'll be known by the battles that you fight. I, there's a reason we call the generation that fought in World War II the greatest generation because they fought in the greatest war, right? So there's just something in the heart of a man that God uses battles to shape. We've talked a lot about battles here at this church in the last few weeks. I think of Jesus. He's sent into the desert on this amazing camping trip. Thinks he's going to be alone, a wonderful time of prayer and fasting. And who shows up to be his buddy on his camping trip? The devil. I mean, it's just not fair. I don't want to go camping with the devil. Do you? No. And then the devil starts tempting him, right? He tempts him with food. He tempts him with power. He tempts him with worship. He tempts him with all these different things. And there are temptations. There are battles that Jesus has to overcome. There are temptations. There are battles that young men have to overcome. What did John write to the young men? You have overcome the evil one. There's a battle for purity, 
that every young man has to overcome to walk into his purpose. I was so uh, amazed. I got a text on Friday night from a group of men at our church, just all different backgrounds, who had gathered. They watched a film. They worshiped. They prayed for each other just to be in the battle together. And, man, I think that's one thing I would just love for you to know. You need a fellowship of the ring around you. You need a team, right? You need people that are in your corner, that are contending with you and fighting your battles with you. But in every great war movie, there's also a love story in the middle of the battle, isn't there, right? Movie would be a lot less interesting without the love story. The shooting, really. You know, this is the heart. What we find as men is the battle is not actually the goal of life, right? Beauty is what we're protecting through the battle. God wants a man to contend for beauty. He wants for a man to contend for his beauty, right? Just just look at David, you know. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his temple. David was satisfied. He was comforted. It says, your rod and your staff will comfort me by the beauty of the Lord. This is God's plan for the heart of a man, for the heart of a man to be satisfied and drawn and filled with the beauty and awe of the Lord. Oftentimes it comes through nature, right? Many of us men can think of a great experience we've had in nature. We just looked around. You're like, you know what? God is real, right? Many of us, maybe it's art, maybe it's music, whatever God uses to awaken your heart. But there's this, a wonderful work that God does in the heart. David was known as a man after God's own heart. I think that's a beautiful thing. In the middle of God awakening the heart of a man and awakening him to beauty, yes, he brings the woman. And such a wonderful thing in the life of a man to find a woman. I always love it. I pray over our church. I pray, God, let people get engaged in this church. Let people meet each other. I, I walk through the chairs and I pray that. So single people don't say I didn't do anything for you, okay? I'm praying. It's one of us is praying, okay? So, but listen, it's a beautiful thing for a man to be drawn to the heart of the woman. But this is a big test in the life of a man because a man has to know that he has to find his comfort and his identity from God and not through the woman he loves. His job is to comfort and seek identity into the woman. Ephesians 5, verse 23, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That's a tall order, isn't it? The only way to do that is if God is your comfort. And men, it is possible. You can do it. And God is going to or has already given you a wonderful woman. But there's these tests of the heart that we have to pass, the test of war, the test of the heart. But you know what the amazing thing is? If we pass these tests, promotion is on the other side. Unfortunately, this is the season where a lot of men fail during the battles, during the stage of the heart. They, they leave the journey. They leave the shepherd's guidance. The road feels too narrow. But if we stay, there is a great reward. Looking at the next verse, Psalm 23, you, yeah, we'll keep going. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Who eats in the presence of their enemies? A king. Only a king can sit down and eat in the presence of his enemies. Whose head gets anointed with oil? Well, in the Bible, that's, those were people that were chosen by divine intervention, people that were chosen to be kings and rulers. 
Whose cup overflows? Who is enough to give to somebody else and still have their own supply, an abundant life? A king. That is God's plan for every man. You know, I would just love for you to know as men that God desires to give you a kingdom that is part of his kingdom. You're a prince in God's kingdom. And God wants to give you something to rule and to influence and to reign over and to speak into and to steward and to manage on his behalf. When a man learns he is unconditionally loved, when he learns confidence and adventure, when he passes the tests of the war in the heart, God eventually promotes him to a place of influence. For a lot of men, this is going to be happening in their 40s and 50s. It's not an exact science, but there's a track, there's a journey, there's a template that God has us on as men as he's developing our souls. But here's the problem. We live in a culture that doesn't value process. It values instant gratification. So Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos sat down, the two of the richest people in the world, and Jeff Bezos is interviewing Warren Buffett. He says, Warren, you're such an amazing investor. Why doesn't everyone just invest like you do? Why doesn't everyone just take your plan and also make a lot of money investing? You know what Warren's answer to Jeff Bezos was? People don't like to get rich slowly. (laughs) It speaks to our culture, doesn't it? right? There's something in us. We want it now. We want it quick. And we want it yesterday. Amazon yesterday. I'm sure that's coming out, right? Okay. Leadership is a great influence, but it's a holy trust. And God wants us to have passed these different tests and gone through these different stages so we don't destroy what he's given us to bless. One of the worst things in the life of a man is to become a king too early. You know, the the Bible has a wonderful story about a young king, Josiah. He was a man of God, but he wasn't able to impart the wisdom needed for the next generation because he didn't have the life experience yet. The season, the stage of a king, and just to close, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that word forever at the end of Psalm 23. It's the end of the masculine journey. It's leaving the temporal. It's to stop looking in our culture and our past for the Holy Grail, for the fountain of youth. And it's to reconnect with our Father God, to hear his name speak to us, that he is calling us to have an eternal mindset, to look towards forever. What did John say about fathers? They know him, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is shaping men. He's keeping us from looking back into boyhood and doing what feels good or looks right in a moment and having us lean into what is right and what needs to be done now for the sake of God and his kingdom and others. Amen. Yeah, so I like David's words to Solomon at the end of David's life. I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. (laughs) These are the words of an initiated and restored man. These are the words of one man passing wisdom from one generation to another. This is the last stage we go through as men, the stage of wisdom. So much I could say about this, but as you look at these stages as men, my question to you is just, what comes up in your heart? Do you see the faithfulness of God in different seasons or maybe what your own father supplied for you in a powerful way? There might be some other stages you look at and you say, wow, like, I really need that. really need that from God. I don't feel like I have that in my soul and in my heart. And I've got great news for you today. I just want to invite you on an invitation to get back on the path and back on the journey. 
what God is primarily doing in your life as a man is reinitiating you, is excavating, restoring your soul so that you can be the man of God. He wants you to be, and this world needs you to be. Yeah, let's stand together.